welcome to Christian Life Academy. We're working our way through the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689. We are in chapter 4 of creation. And chapter 4 uh, is not a very long chapter. It's fairly short. In fact, we're going to be on the, uh, focusing on paragraph the end of paragraph 3 today, uh, which is the last paragraph. There's only three paragraphs um, in chapter 4. And um, we talked as we began. We read the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, read through that about what the Bible says about creation. Um, to say that Genesis 1 and 2 is action-packed is way, way, way underselling it uh, because, of course, we're talking about the creation of the earth, of life, of the heavens, the universe. Uh, everything that exists were created as described in Genesis chapter 1, even to the point of man being created and God resting on the seventh day, all these things happened in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so we read that, then we went through the paragraphs, and of course, basically paragraph 1 is an overview of creation, paragraph 2 is the pinnacle of creation, which is man, and then paragraph 3 is the condition of man's uh, position in creation. And the reason that the confession does this is because, obviously, the rest of the confession, uh, the rest of the 1689, is dealing with what? Animals? Plants, man. It's dealing with man. So, obviously, the one entire paragraph being in, uh, described here uh, about man, or essentially two out of the three, is because, obviously, man is different. Man is not the same. Now, this varies wildly from uh, the unbeliever's view of existence, and that is uh, more and more they try to get us into this almost a pantheistic belief that everything is the same as everything. God is in everything, everything is in God, and all of this is a bunch of uh, ridiculousness, but they're trying to say that somehow there is no higher power. And in fact, even to the point that they have, so how do you deal with that then, right? If you think about this, uh, if you go back to Darwin and the origin of the species that he wrote, he talked about man uh, certainly being the pinnacle of evolution, so in Darwin's mind, man was the pinnacle of evolution, but Darwin went further than that. Darwin broke down different peoples. Now, he, of course, called it races. We should not call it races. That's an inaccuracy. This, of course, is foisted on us by the media all the time because we are all of the same race, the human race. We are all humans. We have different uh, backgrounds. We have sometimes different skin tones, sometimes different physical characteristics. Still all the human race. We share a common ancestor. Who? Adam. We all share Adam. Adam and Eve. And you say, well, also Noah. Well, yes, except Noah's son's wives and Noah's wife were not from, not, you know, they're not in Noah's direct family. Are you with me on this? There was some variety still there at the time of the ark. But we do share Adam. We do share Adam. Now, you could say we all share Noah. That would be true. That'd be true too, right? We're all descendants of Noah and his wife, right? But there were other parents there too, but we all share this. So it doesn't matter if someone is black or they are totally white, pale white, albino white, Scottish white, let's be honest. Okay, it doesn't matter if they are very, very pale. <laughs> I could say that because I'm Scottish. But the, the point is, is that we are all part of the same race. This human race is different than every other creature. 
different. Even Darwin said that that was the case. Because clearly you can identify that man has abilities, knowledge, and an existence that is very different from the animals. It is not just that man has come up with a way to kill all the animals. It's nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with predatory na nature at all. Nothing. It has to do with intellect. And of course, we have a distinctly different intellect because why? We know the truth. We're made in God's image. We have a soul. Animals do not have a soul. It's not the same. Animals are not made in God's image. We are made in God's image. We are. So, regardless of what man says about what the pinnacle of creation is or what, what the uh, evolutionary ladder or looks like, we are not the same as animals. We are not the same. There is not the equivalent priority for, look, if you, almost no one with common sense would say that if they had to choose between a person and an animal, well, it's a toss-up, I don't know who should live. Maybe the animal should live and not the person. No, no one would say that. Why? It's ridiculous. They know better. An animal's an animal, a human's a human. There is a difference. Are you, are you with me on this? There is a difference. If somebody gets hurt in an accident, right, and there's a dog and there's a person, should we have a hard decision about who we should render first aid to first? It should be the person. Are you with me on this? Now, okay, I understand. You say, well, what if the person just has a little cut on their hand and the dog is bleeding out? Okay, all right, all right. Well, the dog. <laughs> should do the dog. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying let's say they're equal. One's going to die if you don't tend to them. Who should it be? The person. You should run to the person. Why? Because the person is at a higher level than the animals. God has placed us at this higher level than the animals, and we're going to talk about that today in our dominion over the animals and over the earth. But keep in mind that every time you hear something or someone suggest that man should be, animals should be treated, treated with the same dignity as people, that is a lie. That's a lie. And they will not, sometimes, this is what they're going to, I just use their words, okay? So I just said it. I just said animals should be treated with the same dignity that people are treated with. And that's the word they use. What did the word used to be? They slip sometimes. You hear it sometimes. You read it sometimes. What's the word they say? Animals should be treated humanely. You heard that, right? We should treat them humanely. What does that mean? Like humans. They're actually, we should treat them as if we were treating humans. You see this, right? In other words, what is the standard then for how we should treat animals? Well, like we treat humans. Obviously, that's because there's a difference between how we treat animals and how we treat humans. Does that make sense? Now, he will say, well, of, of course I agree with all this. I mean, I love my dog. I have a dog. It's like a member of the family. And uh, I treat that dog like, you know, sits at the table, eats the meals with us, uh, has their own bedroom, has their own bed, uh, drives the car. No, that's too far. Anyway, so I love this animal, and I treat this animal like it's a member of the family. Okay, understand that. It's not the same as a human. Either way, not the same as a human. It's hard for you to accept that that would be the case because you know it's not the case. That doesn't change how much you love a pet or how much compassion you have for them or how special you treat them or how many treats you give them or any of those kind of things. It's that there is a difference between the pet and between man, between a human and between an animal. There is a difference. So whenever you see these things about how, well, you know, this is not fair to the animal. People, men should not be able to do this. Mankind should not be able to do this. Not men. 
heaven forbid. Mankind should not do this, or humans should not do this because it's going to hurt this certain bird. Heard that before? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, you should have. I mean, this is a, the first one that was really the big one was the California condor. Remember this? California condor. Why? Because there was pesticides that were actually causing the eggshells to be soft, and they wouldn't make it. They were dying. So the California condors were headed toward extinction. Changed. California condors came back. Now, guess what? They're a menace. They're a pest. They're trying to figure out how they can reduce the California condors. At any rate, <laughs> who, who would have thought? It's kind of like saying, well, we're going to bring back the dinosaurs. Great idea. Until we start having dinosaurs. That's a bad idea. <laughs> when they start killing people and destroying things. At any rate, so <laughs> it's man's wisdom. The idea, though, that there is the same kind of priority on animals and man is a completely incorrect approach according to the scripture. Does that mean that we should just destroy all the animals? Of course not. And look, this is, there's, this is not like, and this is, of course, where the argument will go the other direction. This is not like you will see uh, Christians will hold a position that, well, we should just kill all the animals. Does anybody here honestly think that that's the case? Of course they don't think that's the case. You like animals. You want animals. Whether they're a pet or they're your food, you like animals. And, or you like to look at them. You like them. doesn't matter. You don't want to see all the animals killed. I never met somebody who said, I want to see all the animals killed. I've met people who say, I want to see all the groundhogs killed. Or I want to see all the coyotes killed. I've seen that. But I've never, even deer hunters. Deer hunters don't say, I want to see all the deer killed. Right? They want to go hunt again. They want to have that venison. They don't want all the deer killed. But the farmers wish there was a lot less deer. You with me on this? Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to go too far down that path. The point is, is that you can't say, well, if Christians say that we are to, to actually hold dominion over the animal kingdom, that we can decide whether we want to do stop something because it's going to hurt an animal or whether we don't want to. We don't have our human existence dependent on our non-impact on any animals or creatures or slugs or anything else, which that's happened to. That's up to us to decide that. The other side is, oh, no, well, if you say that, then what? You don't want to have any animals? You want to kill all the animals? We're, gonna, we're all going to be vegetarians then, right? Well, we can't even be that because if you start killing all the animals, what about the insects? You're going to kill the insects, kill the insects, and we don't have cross-pollination, then we don't have any fruit anymore. What's going to happen? You know, all this blah, blah, blah. It's ridiculous. That's a straw man argument. Nobody is making that argument. Nobody's saying that. There's a difference between saying that we are in a position to have dominion over the animals versus the animals should equal humans and that humans could have suffering because we don't want to impact animals. This is the difference. So if you say, well, uh, people are starving, the crops have been destroyed, there's a plague of locusts, and the only thing left are the animals, what should people eat? The animals. The animals. Or else they will die. So then what would be the choice here? Well, we can either let the animals live and the humans die, or we can kill the animals and the humans live. You with me on this? I'm going to talk about worldwide. That's totally different. That hasn't happened, it's not happening. I'm talking about an era region, right? Which has happened. All the crops wiped out. Locusts. Happened. Happened in the United States. 1800s. You understand the point. The point is, we don't want to go too far down this path or accepting these positions that the world takes and not realize it unnecessarily as agreeing with them by just agreeing with their supposition. And their presupposition is, is that man and animals and even insects are equal. 
although they're way less so on the insects now because they want us to eat insects instead of eating animals now. That's the new, that's the new trend. If you haven't seen that, I mean, that's it's majorly. You've seen it. I'm sure some of you have seen it. Paul's shaking his head. Yeah, he's seen it. I mean, it's a big, it's a big deal trying to promote that we're all going to eat insects so we don't harm the animals and uh, let the animals roam free and man can can suffer because uh, we should. We've hurt too many animals. I mean, that's the whole. Yeah, Bill Gates is one of the big ones behind that. What did you say? <laughs> Bug burgers. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> At any rate, uh, it's hard. It's hard to like, we laugh. It's hard to believe, but this is this is an agenda. I mean, the people are working on this, and the people that are working on this, by the way, are buying farmland to turn it back to nature, to not farm on it. That's that's what they're doing. At any rate. Uh, of course, if you're a farmer and you're strapped for cash, that might be look pretty good, but it doesn't look so good as the people, does it? We need farmers. We need farmers. At any rate, okay, so gone down that path a little too far. So uh, last week we talked about um, the process of creation. Specifically, we talked about uh, the fact that it was very good, the days of creation and the fact that it was good, 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 and then very good. And, of course, we also talked about the fact that there is no way for us to possibly explain, if you look at the actual text itself, to explain away the concept that it was six literal days. It was not periods of time. That is a complete line of fallacy where some people, let's say, I want, okay, I'll try to be gracious here. Well-intentioned Christians, well-intentioned Christians trying to match, quote-unquote, science with the Bible. The problem is, is that the quote-unquote science isn't science. That's the problem. So, is there any way, let me just ask you this, just think about this for a second. When we're talking about creation, we're talking about what God did and how he did it, is there any way for us to see that, what happened then, today? Is there a way for us to see it? To witness it? Is there a way for us to do that? There's no way for us to witness it. Did they have video back then? Was it recorded? No. Do we have a machine that allows us to peer into history and observe history? No, we don't have that. Is there any audio recordings? No. Have they made a good movie? Well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> because that would be somebody making up what happened, right? So the only thing you can really go to, if you don't have video and you don't have audio, the only other written a record would be a written record. A written record. Now, was there anybody that was there actually writing down what happened in the garden at the time of the Garden of Eden? No. There wasn't, at least as far as we know. There are some that suggest, and I'm not going to go too far down this path, that there are some that suggest that Genesis was actually written by five authors. It wasn't written by one, Moses. It was written by five authors, was passed to Moses, became called a book of Moses, because these five authors actually wrote different sections of Genesis. And the first section was written by Adam. That's a suggestion. Now, of course, there's lots of problems with that theory. The first problem being is the Hebrew language didn't exist until after the Tower of Babel. So what language was it written in? We don't even know because there's nothing recorded that we can find at all. There's no evidence of anything in writing in that time period at all. Nothing. There's nothing pre-Diluvian, which means before the flood. There was nothing that survived in the ark. If you go to the ark encounter at uh, Answers in Genesis down in Kentucky, and you go into the ark uh, itself, which is very impressive. You've never been there. 
it's incredible. But when you go into that, you go up to this one section, and they have like a, it's almost like the library, like the archives. They have a room full of scrolls, right? Full of scrolls. So this would, the intention, the idea is that this would be like all of the documents and history and everything else that Noah could accumulate or had accumulated that went into the ark, right? The, the fact is, is we have no idea whatsoever. It's a supposition. We, it, that could have been. You could see that today, we would, somebody would do something like that, right? They would even... Thousands of years ago, somebody would have done something like that. They would have tried to retain the information. That's why there were libraries, right? The Library of Alexandria, of Alexandria you can think of, was the biggest one. The source of knowledge at the time burned. Everything lost in the Library of Alexandria. So is it possible that, that at the, there was some pre-Diluvian documents in the Library of Alexandria that were then destroyed by fire? It's possible. We have no idea. So you can't certainly say that it's true, just like we can't say for sure that Noah actually took written documents onto the ark. There may have been no written language. There may have been none. There are still some today, cultures today, that have no written language. This is why we have missionaries that actually go to those areas and they help develop a written language for the language and then make sure that they can actually teach it to the people, have them learn how to do it, and then they can begin writing things down. So this is still existing. It's not like that, oh, that's no such thing. That never happened. People always had writing. How, where did that come from? Where do you think it came from? We don't know. We don't know. So did Adam write part of Genesis? Probably not. Could he have? Do you honestly know for sure? No, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. I know there's some problems with it. So was there a written language at the time of creation? No. But was there stories passed down? Were there people that heard what happened and then told their children what happened? That they were taught what happened? One thing we know for sure, every culture that has no written language has an incredible storytelling mode of telling history. This is how they do it. They sit around and they teach their children by telling them stories about what happened. This is how we know that every single culture that we have discovered has a flood history. They say that the world at some point was in a flood and there was only one family that survived. Isn't that amazing? I'm sure it's coincidental that every people group, even though they're separated by oceans, had the same thing in their oral history. But they did. But they did. How do you explain that? Probably because it happened. Probably because that story was passed on. And when the Tower of Babel happened and the, and, the, and the people groups were separated and the languages were confused, so there was different languages, they still took the stories with them. They still had the history with them. They still knew the story of creation. They still knew the story of the flood. They still knew there was a God. They passed this on to others. They passed this on. So then when we get to Genesis... And we get to the book of Genesis being, being written by Moses. Who told Moses? Well, first of all, he probably heard the story. He probably heard the story. But there's also the inspiration of God, more importantly. So forget about trying to track down who wrote what. Well, the reason it's accurate is because Adam wrote Genesis 1. He was there. He witnessed it. He actually wrote it. That was passed on through the generations, survived on the flood, and then it was passed eventually to Moses through the people of Israel. Is that possible? You can't say it didn't happen. Right? It's possible. But here's what we know for sure. It is called the book of Moses. Christ calls it the book of Moses. The, na the nation of Israel called it, still today, 
the book of Moses, Genesis. So, we understand inspiration. We understand how this works. Was everyone that wrote a book in the Bible at the events that they described in the book? Were they all there? They weren't, definitely weren't there, right? Definitely weren't there. Was, okay, let me ask you this. This is a trick question. This is like stump the dummy reversed. Instead of you stumping me, I'm going to stump you. Who wrote the book of Job? Who wrote the book of Job? Does the book of Job say who wrote the book of Job? It does not. What do we normally think? Go ahead, you can say it. Job. We normally think Job, right? And it could have been Job. Was Job there for most of the book? He was, right? You see these discussions that Job had with God, right? You see these discussions Job had with his friends, that Job had with his wife. All those things. Could have been Job. Was Job present when God was talking to Satan? He wasn't. He wasn't. So how did he know that happened? You know, in the conversations we see with God and Job through the rest of the book, God never tells him that he had that conversation with Satan. He never tells him why he went through all the things, does he? He just tells him, look, who are you to question God? That's what he says. Who are you? Right? He doesn't tell him. We don't see it revealed. So whoever wrote Job, whether it was Job or somebody else, they had to be inspired by God to write what they wrote to explain it. And this happens over and over in the Scripture. You can think about the Gospels, right? Were any of the people that wrote the Gospels, the various disciples, were they present when Christ was born? Did they see the angel come to Mary? Right? No, they didn't see these things. What were they writing? They were writing as they were inspired by God to write what God told them to write about that particular subject and about Christ's birth and about Mary getting pregnant, all those things. God told them what to write. So, regardless of if it's Adam, slim chance, or Moses, God told them what to write. God witnessed it. Now, the fact that the book of Genesis, as far as we know, as far as we know when Moses lived, is about 3,000 years old, it's still the oldest account of how the world began. It's still the oldest written record of how the world began. How is it that the world accepts other written things of history because they're the oldest that we can find that tell what happened, and yet the Bible, preserved in an unbelievable way through time, in so many different places, in so many different ways, immediately discounted? Well, the reason is because it's not logic. The reason is because they don't want to accept it. So they must find another way. And that begins in Genesis. They have to begin by suggesting that man is not created. God is non-existent. There was no creation of the universe. It, it, it evolved after the Big Bang. That's where they have to go. That's why Genesis and creation are so important. Because they lay out how the world began. And you can see right away how it makes sense 
that if God created man, if God created the universe, if God is the one that started all this, he might care about what happens afterwards. Now, the deist would go a different direction with this, right? A deist would say that God, I should correct that, a deist from 200 years ago, because deism, by the way, has changed. But a deist from 200 years ago would say that they make the analogy that God was like the, the watchmaker. He got the watch working, got it all sophisticated, gears working together. It's going to keep going once you start it, once you wind it, it's going to just keep going. And then he went away. He's not paying attention anymore. He started the universe, put man here, created man, created the animals, did it all. And then he's gone. Some other universe, some other existence. He's not here. So he doesn't hear prayers. He doesn't care about how we live. It's not the Bible's not his word. Christ is not his son. That would all be a deist, right? So you can see how the deist essentially acknowledges that there must be a higher power, but that's as far as they go. That's as far as they go. Ironically, atheists today have gone the same path. They've gone the same way, except they don't isolate it to all of the universe. I'm sorry, they don't say all of the universe. They isolate it to man. They isolate it to man. So, the current theory for the popular theory for atheists today, and I say popular because their leading spokespeople are the ones that embrace this. The earth was evolved. It came out of the Big Bang, and of course that was for after billions of years, there was another Big Bang, and where did a matter come from in the beginning? We don't know. We don't know any of that. It doesn't matter because we're talking billions of years here anyway. Let's focus on where we're at now. It's kind of ironic they say that because, of course, their whole theory is based on the idea that it's been billions of years. At any rate, billions of years, everything evolves, everything comes into existence, how do you explain man coming into existence on the earth? How do you explain the complexities of humankind? Well, as more and more evidence has come forward, as medical technology has advanced, microbiology has advanced, it's become readily apparent that man could not have evolved. It's impossible. You can't see it. So modern scientists are going the other direction. How did man start? Aliens. Aliens, literally aliens. The argument is, is that man was seeded here by aliens. Now, depending on which branch of that theory that you believe, it was either that aliens planted chimpanzees and apes who developed into man and they actually built into them the ability for them to evolve, or nope, that wasn't it at all. All those things that we see that we all know is false, they agree, yep, those are false. There was no missing link. Those things didn't evolve. Those are just different species. It has nothing to do with man because aliens put man on earth. Aliens seeded man. Aliens started man. That's where they're at. Richard Dawkins says this. Now, he's not out preaching aliens, but when he's cornered on where did man actually begin from or he starts talking about where did man actually begin from, you know what he goes to? Aliens. Clearly, there was an alien intelligence that seeded mankind, that began man. And that very well could be. This is him. This, that could very well be that the first two they deposited on the earth are who we refer to as Adam and Eve. What? Richard Dawkins? Don't believe the Bible? Greatest show on earth is Christianity? That whole guy, he says that Adam and Eve could have been people that were seeded by a higher power from off, off of this, out of this world? Yes. 
You see how that makes everything he says suspect? How all of his arguments go out the window? Because if a higher power put man and woman on earth, and that was the first humans, and he's now saying that that could be the case, the only thing we can't know for sure is what he is not talking about. Who was the higher power? Was it aliens? Or was it God? What's he say? Aliens. Why? Because he will not accept that there's a God. He won't. But he's had to go so far. His argument has looked so weak that now he's at a point where he's finally having to agree that, yeah, there must have been some intelligence that put man on earth. Wow. You see any problems there? Like logic? You know what they're counting on? He's counting on this by admitting this. People won't put that together. People aren't smart enough to put that together. They're so dumb, they're not going to get it. They're not going to see that my argument is a problem because I now accept that that's probably the case. You know the sad part is? is that's true. Because people believe what they're told. So if Richard Dawkins says aliens put men on here, well... I guess that's what happened. must be real. That's the argument now. Is this incredible? It should be. I can talk about these things because we only have a few slides today. We're at the end of paragraph 3. I'm sorry, paragraph 3 in general. It's very short. This is the condition of man's position in creation. So the last one was the pinnacle of creation, man, paragraph 2. Paragraph 3 is, besides the law written in their hearts, they received a command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which they kept, which while they kept, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. Now this is the last paragraph. Does anybody see anything there? Got any comments on that? Did anything happen? After God set them up and gave them a rule and said, do this and you're gonna, you, know, you can still commune with me, you can still, you'll be okay? Did anything happen after that? The fall. <laughs> the fall, right? That happened afterwards. Not covered in this chapter. Why? Well, it's covered in a later chapter. But notice when we talk about creation, we talk about the way that God established creation. We're not talking about how it developed after he created it. Does that make sense? So the focus of the chapter is on creation. It's not focused on the fall and what happens subsequent to that. It's focused on creation. And the position that man was in at creation was this. Was this. So, first, the law of God expressed to man. God gave man the knowledge he needed to live. What was written in his heart and the one command of special revelation. So think about that for a second. It's important for us to understand this because when we talk about the Scriptures, we did talk about the revealed Word of God. What is the revealed Word of God? It is the Scriptures, right? I kind of set that up. I should have asked the question first. But this is the revelation of God. Is this the only law of God? No, there is natural law or the laws of nature, as the Declaration refers to it. Natural law. Now, there is a natural law party today, political party. 
Does that mean that the natural law party embraces God's law written on man's heart? No, it doesn't mean that at all. They've adopted that name. It's a good name. But natural law means, has meant, through history, that is the law that is written on man's heart. It is the law that is true in nature. Not the revealed law. It is the natural law that God put into creation. Laws like gravity. Right? Laws like stop signs. No, not those laws. Those are man's laws. Laws that are built into creation that we can't change. Or, if we violate them, we know we're doing something wrong. This is why when Cain killed Abel, he didn't come out and just talk about it. He felt guilty. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, did they just come out and say, yeah, we just had a bite of that fruit off that tree, God. Look, here we are. Didn't happen. We didn't die. Is that what happened? No. What did they do? They hid. They hid. They hid. Why did they hide? They're guilty. They felt guilty. How did they know? Did God give Adam a law book? Here's the rules. Here's the Ten Commandments. No. That came way later. It's because the law of God was written on his heart. Now, this isn't the only thing, right? It's not just that. I mean, you think about this. God tells Adam to tend the garden. He tells Adam to name the animals. How did Adam know how to tend the garden? Knowledge he had from creation. God built it in him. How did he know to do what he was told? God tells him, this is your job, this is what you do. How did he know that that's what he should do? Because that obedience was in his heart. Was in his heart. When God creates Eve, we don't see a lot about it. We see a very little. What was Adam's response? Whoa, man. <laughs> Which is how we say woman today. That's it. Whoa, man. He didn't reject Eve as a rival. Right? Right? That's not how it happened. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Remember that? Yeah. Adam accepted Eve as his mate. How did he know to do this? Built into him. Built into him. Man has God's law on his heart. This knowledge that Adam needed was written in his heart. There was one command of special revelation. God telling Adam not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, why did he have to say that one? Why didn't God say, look, this is how you eat? We don't see that. You need to drink. This is what you drink, this water. This is what you do, right? Did he have to say that? He didn't say that. All of these things, this knowledge that Adam needed to live, God built into him. He had to have the command to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because that was the exception to the rule that was written on his heart. And the rule written on his heart was is that he could take the fruit and eat it. It wasn't until the fall 
that he starts thinking he should eat vegetables. No. <laughs> Did you get that? That was a dish on vegetables. At any rate, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, right? He could, his natural understanding, the natural man was that he could eat fruit of the tree. But this one tree, God has to tell him, no, no, no. No, no, no. Now, here we are, 6,500 or so years from creation. Man has gone further down this path of the loss of the original knowledge that we have. We still feel guilty about things that we do when we know they're wrong. Right? And sometimes we feel guilty about something or we just feel like we shouldn't do something because it doesn't seem right. You ever said that stuff? I don't think I should do that. I don't think I should say that. It doesn't seem right. Where does that come from? Well, somewhere in you, even though your human nature wants to squelch it, there is the law of God still. Even for non-believers. You see this all the time. Why do non-believers not just kill each other? They don't believe in the Ten Commandments. Why don't they do that? Why, have, why, do, they have, why do we even call somebody who has no problem hurting others a sociopath? We have a name for it, right? Because it's so abnormal. Because the normal behavior is that people actually don't hurt each other. Why? Because that's actually in their hearts. That is in their hearts. Comes from God. So we see God giving Adam and Eve, a specific, Adam particularly, then Eve, gets it from Adam, a specific command of revelation, because this is an exception. So why do we have the special revelation of the scriptures? Why? Because we need more specific instruction about things. That's why. Now there's also history, right? Going through a lot of that. There's history, right? That's good. There's other things in there that explain things to us that make us feel like we understand things or we understand how God wants us to be. But there's a lot of commands in the Scripture, isn't there? There's a lot of examples in the Scripture. Things we should do, things we shouldn't do. We see these things through the Scripture. That's why it's called God's revealed law or God's revealed word because he's telling us these things. Now, well, don't we need more, like, don't we need to have an update? Is it time for us to get an upgrade? Does the firmware time to update here? Do we need to get, you know, Bible 2.0? Like, when is God going to tell us about how much phone use is enough? Or if we should or shouldn't eat GMO food? Most of us know the answer to that. The Bible's enough. The Bible is enough. The Bible gives us the guidelines from which we are to live. The Bible tells us what direction we should go. Look, you cannot say that a phone is innately sinful. A smartphone even. Even an Apple. You can't say it's innately sinful. I can say it's innately sinful. But you can't generally say it's innately sinful. Right? However, it could, be, could it be used for evil? Of course. Absolutely. By the way, almost everything can be used for evil, can it? You say, well, what do you mean? Well, how about the Internet? Could that be used for evil? How about TV? How about books? Say, well, yeah, okay, those things are easy. You're all talking media now. Well, you're right. Good catch. How about materials? How about wood? France, carpenter. Just like Joseph. Get a freebie there. Can wood be used for evil? How about metal? Can metal be used for evil? 
cross, nails, can wood be used for evil? It can. But you're sitting on pews that have wood. So wood isn't inherently evil, right? Metal isn't inherently evil. But those things could be used for evil. Everything can be used. Look, the Bible tells us that eating can be used for evil. Gluttony. Gluttony. Used for evil. Your voice, your language can be used for evil. Right? God's word tells us what is and isn't evil. It doesn't tell us everything and then we can only do what it says. It tells us don't do these things. God's law generally is negative law. He tells us how to live. Look, this is really simple. Christ summed the commandments up, right? Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's it. That's really all the Bible needed. Here's a command for how do you live. Accept that. People don't know where to draw the line. Well, I mean, what's it mean to love my neighbor as myself? What's it mean to love God with all my I mean, I love God. I love him. He's great. I love God. Pretty flippant. Okay. What's that look like? Well, I love him. I love him like I love everything else. <laughs> okay, now you got a problem. You already started down the wrong path here. So, what you love him like everything else. Well, does that mean that God doesn't care what you do? Like, he created the heavens and the earth, and if you love him, shouldn't you treat him like the creator because you love him? Like, shouldn't there be some respect for God? Well, why? I love him. Isn't that all that matters? Doesn't love overcome all? No. Matter of fact, it doesn't. Matter of fact, it doesn't. Love does not overcome all. It just doesn't. The reality is, is that God cares. So God says, rest on the seventh day. Why? To honor creation. What he did in creation. He set the example. Rest the seventh day. How else do you honor God? Don't set up an idol. No idols. You're not loving God by loving an idol, by worshiping an idol, you see? So what does he do? He tells us in his word. This is what matters. He reveals it. So he had to reveal this to Adam so that Adam knew this is the one thing he shouldn't do. Think of how freeing, how much liberty Adam had. The only thing I'm going to tell you is, you know in your heart what's right or what's wrong, but this one thing, let me just make sure I clarify for you. Don't eat from that tree. Looks good. Eve says it. Looks good. Don't eat that. That's not for you. The special revelation was very clear and confirmed by Eve's understanding of it. Satan questions Eve. She says we're not to eat from that tree, so she understands that's the rule. The revelation included the penalty for disobedience to this command. Thus, the penalty given to them and all mankind was understood and just. Let's see what it says. Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And then Genesis 3, verses 1 through 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now you see what right away, right? The Satan says, has God said you won't eat of any tree? That's not what God said, is it? He's twisting what God said. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. 
But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did God tell Adam not to touch it? Nope. Didn't tell him that. Could Adam have told Eve that? It's possible. You don't usually hear that. What you usually hear is some explanation that somehow Eve added this to it. You know, Eve added something to the command. That's not true. You don't know that. If it was true, God's word would say that's the case. It doesn't say that, so we don't know that. Eve could have added it, but Adam could, Adam could have said, look, Eve, we can eat from anything here. It's some great stuff. Well, you try the apples. Oh, they're good. But that one right there in the middle, don't eat from that one. In fact, just don't even touch it. Right? You, could, you clearly could have done something like that with your kids, right? Don't eat that. That's not good for you. That, that's poison. Don't eat it. In fact, don't even touch it. Just to stay away from it. Right? That could have been what happened. But you understand here, you see that clearly Eve understood that she was not supposed to eat from that tree. It's not like this was a mystery here. <clears throat> the blessing of man's obedience to God's law. Before the fall, man was happy in his existence, particularly because he had communion with God. The fall, the severing of that communion, was the loss of paradise. So you hear different references to paradise being lost, all these kind of things. And the idea is, is that paradise was when man was able to commune freely with God. It was not the fact that he didn't have to work. Don't think paradise is the absence of effort. Adam had a job. He was to tend the garden. He was to name the animals. This is work. Was it easy work? Probably. Probably. The curse was to make work hard. So paradise was not no work. Paradise wasn't, you know, sitting around and drinking, you know, drinks with umbrellas in them or something. You know, it wasn't that. Verners, that would be paradise. Anyway, it wasn't that. It was not paradise because they were just relaxing all the time. It was because they communed with God. They're in beautiful creation, and they're communing with God. They're speaking with, conversing with, with God. Christ provided the way that man can be restored to paradise. Does that happen as soon as you're saved? Is the restoration that Christ provides to us so that we can experience once again communing with God does that begin the moment you're saved? It does not. It does not. You can pray to God. You can be led by the Spirit. You are not fully communing with God. Your full communion with God will be experienced after your death. After your death. When you're able to go into His presence. You're not fully communing with Him. Are you hearing His voice? Are you able to speak to him in a conversation like we're having right now? Are you able to do that with God now? You're not communing with him like that. You think God revealed himself to Adam as a voice from the clouds? If there was clouds. A voice from the sky? We'll get into the cloud thing another time. You think that's the way he talked to him? I think you can argue that no, that's not. Because what does it say about when God found Adam and Eve hiding? Was it a voice from the sky? No, that wasn't it at all. And they were hiding from him. Which means that 
somehow God's presence was real enough that they knew where to go that he wouldn't see them, they thought. Except, of course, he knew where they were. But you see the point? The point is, is that the communion that we have today, Christ provided the way that man can be restored to paradise, but you will not experience that paradise yet. You're still in the sinful human flesh. You're still in a fallen earth. Even when you die right now, it's not complete restoration to paradise. Why? You will be without a body. It'll be just your soul. And it's not the new heaven and new earth. Right? Not yet. That comes later. That comes later. Then your body will be resurrected and glorified. What will that look like? This isn't the right chapter for it. This isn't the right chapter for it. What is dominion? Notice here, we get into this God had and had dominion over the creatures. Man had communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. Well, what is dominion? Dominion literally means a sovereign or supreme authority, the power of governing and controlling. So when you think of the, the idea of dominion, you probably already think of this, right? So what is the king's dominion? I don't mean the amusement park. What is the dominion of the king or of a state or something like that? Well, that all has to do with sovereign or supreme authority, the power of governing and controlling. So to say that man had dominion over the creatures is the reference to the idea or to the fact that God said that man is to have dominion over them. God gave man dominion over all the creatures of the earth. Man is made in God's image, so we reflect his authority over creation and our authority over the animal kingdom. Why does man have dominion over the animals? Because we're made in God's image. That's why. It's not because we have opposable thumbs. It's not because we're able to reason or we're able to have empathy. There are animals that have all of that. Opposable thumbs, intellect, the ability to reason, and empathy. Which, by the way, just to keep you updated of how you know messed up the world has gotten. Gorillas and chimpanzees are not considered the smartest animals on earth. In fact, they're fairly dumb. So you all of, I'm sorry, she's gone, but Jane Goodall's work, they have determined since her death that this is all learned behaviors, that what they do is they just replicate what they see. They are not able to put together sentences. They're not able to communicate in ways that are beyond very basic mental abilities. See, they wanted this to be true because that would somehow make the idea of evolution from an ape to a human more possible. Not true. Now, you ever heard of dolphins or some of the smartest animals in the earth? You ever heard that? Dolphins? Dolphins exhibit emotions. <laughs> dolphins. Can you see a dolphin frown? You can't really see it. <laughs> but they do exhibit emotions, like they behave differently under different conditions on their own. So the thing where they're jumping like this and they're following along a boat, it's actually a joy thing. They don't do that all the time. You know, dolphins don't swim like that all the time. At any rate. Dolphin's intellect, not close to man. You know now what they say the smartest intellect is? This is the last, I don't know, 10 years? The last three or four years really has been the most more studies have been done on this. Dogs. <laughs> Should we be surprised? Dogs. Now they've proven 
dogs have empathy for humans. They have empathy. No other animals have empathy. They feel bad for you because you feel bad. That's empathy. They feel bad because you feel bad. And, and if you've had a dog, you know that's true. Like if, you don't, if you're sick, that dog will be laying right there and the dog feels, it's almost like the dog's sick. But the dog's not sick. The dog just feels bad that you're sick. You ever seen that? Cats? No. That's why cats are the devil. No, I'm just kidding. I know some of you have cats. But the dogs, this is what they say. Dogs are still not human. They still don't have this. Made an image of God. We are still to have dominion over the dogs, over the apes, over the dolphins, over every animal. Why? Because we alone are made in God's image. All other animals, different day of creation. By the way, don't forget this too. Interestingly enough, you never think about this. Adam, man, the only thing made from dirt, from the dust of the ground. Nothing else is explained in the Bible as coming from the dust of the ground. In other words, animals appear to just have, I mean, they apparently just appeared. Plants, sun, moon, everything. All instantaneously appear when God creates them. Man created out of the dust of the ground. Interesting. Then woman created from man. Sorry. Adam partially fulfilled his role, this dominion, by naming all the animals. Did the animals name themselves? No. Could the animals speak? <laughs> oh. Do we see an animal speaking in the Bible? Yep. What do we see? What's the one everybody thinks of? What? The donkey. And does anybody remember who he's talking to? Balaam. And what's he say? Roughly. You can paraphrase. <laughs> he's hitting the donkey trying to get him to go down the road and the, and the donkey says don't you see there's an angel there no you can see the angel but the donkey can see the angel and the donkey says something that would be a shocker right there right except does Eve appear to be shocked at the serpent doesn't appear to be shocked hmm. does that mean that animals could talk no <laughs> it's interesting maybe Right? We don't know that. But we know that if they did, it wasn't because they were made in God's image. Do you see what I'm saying? That donkey was not made in God's image. Was that a miraculous occurrence? Yes, it was a miraculous occurrence. No matter which way you look at it, donkeys aren't just talking to people. right? So that was a miraculous occurrence no matter what. We should be continuing to fulfill our role of dominion, and we do, although not always in a good way. So we do show our dominion, do we not? How many dinosaurs do you see around anymore? None. Is that because there was an asteroid that fell to the earth and it changed the atmosphere and caused there to be an atomic fallout so that there was enough dust to cover the sun so the dinosaurs died because the plants died? If they did, that would be the end of all life, by the way. That's not what happened. That couldn't have been what happened. There's no way possible. There's too much evidence, as you're going to see over the next several weeks, of man living with the dinosaurs. Man has lived with dinosaurs. But guess what? After the flood, the dinosaurs became very scary. They killed people. 
They killed animals. So what did man do? Killed the predator. Killed the dinosaur. You notice there's no uh, tigers, I should say, not lions. There's no tigers around Michigan today. Do you know that there's history that says that there was? All over the United States. They're gone. Why are they gone? They're predators. Man killed them. You notice there's, of course, not huge, you know, 100,000 herd of buffalo in the West. Why? Man killed most of them. That's why. Not in a good way. Not in a good way. But we did. We did. So the fact that there are some animals that are now gone could be because man had dominion in a good way, and it could also be because man had dominion in a bad way. Does that make sense? Look, we still don't consider alligators and crocodiles our friends, do we? I mean, they do hurt people on a pretty regular basis, sometimes eat people. Not good. Not good. Maybe cool to see in a video, but that's probably as close as we should probably get normally. Right? Let's read a few verses. Genesis 1, 26 and 28. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Do you want to get some clarification here? Well, God said that man should have dominion over all the animals. Not, that, 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 that. That's not all he says. He says over everything. In fact, it's a catch-all. But notice he says, specifies fish of the sea, fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Couldn't be clearer. 28, and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion, again, two verses later, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the earth and over every living thing that moveth onto the earth. What is man to do? Man is to have dominion. Man is not just to coexist. He is to have dominion over the animal kingdom. Psalm 8, 4-9, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with, the glo with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the pass of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. Just restating it again in Psalm 8. Then the last verses. Genesis 2, 19 and 20. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. Isn't that interesting? Out of the ground. Doesn't say out of the dust. Out of the ground. There's a difference. Why is it different? That's interesting. We're not going to go down that path. <laughs> and every fowl of the air. And brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Who named them, God or Adam? Adam. Adam named all of the creatures. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. For, but for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. So Adam, before Eve, named all the animals. Would that be kind of, Picture this, it would be kind of cool, right? Adam takes, you know, this, I call this dog. I call this cow. I call it, except it would have been in a different language. But you understand what I'm saying. I'm trying to give you the visual here. Because he named them all. God caused them to all come in front of him so he could name them all. That's what it says. God, could, could God have named them? 
Like, when God brought them out, think, just think about this for a second, just to show you the dominion. When God brought the animals and the fowl of the air and all those things in front of Adam, could God have not said, this is dog, this is cow, this is tiger, or hello, my name is tiger, right? Could have had that. But you understand what I'm saying, right? God brought them there. He could have right then said, this is what I have named this. But he didn't. He had Adam do it. Is that because God couldn't do it? Is that because Adam wouldn't remember it? No. He was showing man's dominion over the animals. God, through Adam, got all the animals named. But he didn't do it. He had Adam do it to show that Adam had dominion over the animals. He literally named them. And whatever you think, whatever language changes through the thousands of years since that time, we're still calling them what they were called by Adam. You say, well, we don't have the same word for dog as the Scottish. They use coo. Gaelic is coo for dog. Right? True. Not the same word in Hebrew either. Not the same, but it doesn't matter. Because that creature had a name, and it had a name originally given to it by Adam. And that name through the, through the eons of time has changed and has taken different languages and still recognize that that was what that was called. It's not called the same thing as a cow. Not in any language. Not the same thing. Now, I'm not talking about breeds, okay? But I'm saying the differences between animals are still recognized as differences today. So Adam named them differently. We still have that today. Where did that come from? How is it that all creatures aren't called creatures? How come all creatures aren't called dog? Or all creatures aren't called cattle? Why? Because Adam named them different. And that knowledge that animals are all named differently translated through time and cultures. So that all cultures, there is no cultures. You think about all these things. If, if man truly was evolving, you would see differences in the cultures. How is it that a culture that's completely separate, no outside interference whatsoever, names all the animals differently? They got a different name for all the animals. It evolved that way? No. It's because they truly were not totally separated. They didn't evolve on their own in that island or in that jungle. They're a part of the human race. They came from Adam. Not from a rock. Not from aliens. Next week, we begin the Creation Seminar Series uh, videos. So the first, I can tell you that we're we're going to be watching these for uh, some time because basically it's a limitation on how much time we have to actually watch them in the class, right? So beginning next week, we need to be trying to start at 9.30. At, while we watch these videos, we need to give ourselves a good hour to get started, watch the video, and make sure that we're done and on our way before this time. Okay, so next week, if you can try to be here by 9.30, we'll start the video shortly after that, after a little bit of introduction. and. Uh, then we'll continue on. Like the first one, for instance, we're only going to watch chapters one through four of the first disc because that's an hour. And then the next week, we'll watch chapters five through eight. That's another hour. So it's going to take some time, right? All right, but we'll, I'll give more of an introduction next week at 9.30. So spread the word, 9.30. Let's close in a word of prayer.